For the last number of years, we've taken some weeks early in the new year to take our church through uh, different campaigns on specific themes. If you're wondering, well, what's the difference between a campaign and a regular series, a regular teaching series? The difference is that we try to incorporate some additional teaching and, and some more discussion on the topic in our life groups as well. And so the idea is to really focus in on an area and hit it from a number of different angles to sort of increase the impact with everyone studying it at the same time. We tackled some great topics over the years, topics like faith and prayer, and last year uh, our, our topic was revamping our relationships. Hopefully they were revamped as a result. But this year the theme of our campaign is called Money Matters. Now perhaps the themes of the other campaigns sounded way more inviting than this one, and I realized that as soon as we mention the word money, we're in danger of maybe having a low attendance for the next four weeks. Perhaps you're already feeling a little bit more squirmy uh, than you are excited, but I want to tell you I'm, I'm actually excited about this campaign that we're about to do. And the question could be, could be asked, why is the church, why did you choose to do a campaign based on this theme? And what are you hoping to accomplish through this study? Well, I want to answer some of those questions right now and, and, and set the table for you for where we're headed uh, for these next few weeks before we begin. You know, one of the main reasons why we're talking about money matters is that in all honesty, this is something we rarely talk about in this church. If you've been in this church for any length of time, you know that's true. In fact, I, I was thinking in all my years of being a pastor, the lead pastor here at Harvest City, which has been over 13 years now, I have preached specifically on money only a couple of times in a series that we did on life management, which was over five years ago. I've talked about giving at various times uh, in casting vision for our global impact offering, but I've never really dove into looking at what the scripture says about how we should approach money as followers of Jesus in our day-to-day -day lives. Sadly, I've seen some teaching regarding money that I feel has been done from wrong motives, with the goal that seems to, to manipulate and to arm twist people to give out of a sense of guilt for personal benefit. And some of the teaching that I, I have seen on money, in all honesty, makes me nauseous. And I've never wanted to be accused of that. I've also never wanted to put barriers in front of people that would keep them from hearing the gospel and keep them from coming to Jesus. So money has just never been something I've emphasized, and my dad never emphasized it a whole lot either in the years that he was the lead. You know, before my father was a believer in Jesus... He summoned all his courage one day to go and attend a church because questions had begun to form in his mind and he was looking for answers. And he was quite leery about church, had never been in church and he was already in his 20s. I think my dad told me the first time he was ever in a church was on his wedding day. And he was leery of preachers. And so the fact that he went to church just showed how hungry he was for truth and for answers. 
And he went to a particular church. It was kind of a large church and he was there for a month. And no one really talked to him. And I've heard him say many times that the first contact he ever had from that church was when he went to the mailbox one day and there was an envelope from the church and within it, when he opened it, some offering envelopes tumbled onto the table. And he was disgusted and he thought, this is what I knew church was all about. They just want my money. And he didn't go to church again for a while. Eventually, his unanswered questions caused him to to try one more time, and this time he went to a small church on the wrong side of the tracks. And at that church, the pastor met him at the front door, made time for him, cared for him, and ultimately led him to Jesus. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of in Leeds. You know, we don't pass a plate here on Sunday mornings anymore. It's been a while. Some of you are asking, why don't we pass that plate? We don't, make, we don't make collecting offerings a major focus of our gatherings, only once a year at Global Impact. And one of the reasons is, is we want this to be an environment where new people can come and feel at ease. And where they can encounter the love of Jesus first and foremost. I don't want any barriers in front of people coming to Jesus. But money is a major part of our lives. And how we view money perhaps reveals more about our hearts and more about our priorities than anything else. It reveals to us what we believe about God's faithfulness, about His goodness, and can actually be a mirror into our soul. And Jesus talked a lot about money, and He talked about our relationship to it in several of the parables that He used. And there is also much practical wisdom in the Bible about how we should handle money. Handled properly, it can be the source of great blessing. It can be used for much good. Handled poorly or used from the wrong motives, uh, the money can be horribly destructive. Paul said, to, said this about money to his young disciple Timothy, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So there is much danger, the Bible tells us, if the love of money grips us. Jesus spoke about this as well when he warned us, you can't serve God and money at the same time. Money can be a horrible master because it enslaves us and God wants us free from these chains. So truthfully, to avoid talking about money for fear of being accused of having ulterior motives is not a good enough reason to not talk about it. And I feel challenged by that. I feel like my job as a pastor and our job as leaders in the church is to bring us all closer to Jesus to exhort us and, and encourage uh, one another to, to be more like Him, to reflect His heart in everything that we do. And if that's true, then we have to talk about money. Because when Jesus becomes Lord and Master, how we see money should change and so should our relationship to it. And my prayer is that through this campaign, we will begin to see money from the lens of the heart of God. And from the perspective of the kingdom of heaven. I pray that as we go through this campaign that we'll get more free from the love of money. 
I pray that we'll get some practical tools on, on how we should handle it. I pray we'll be sobered by the dangers of it and inspired by how God can use it if we're good stewards of it. I pray that our faith and trust in God as our provider is going to grow. I pray we become passionate about reflecting the heart of God and how we use the resources He's given us. If that happens, it will be well worth it. And that takes us to the starting point of our discussion. This morning I want to talk to you about the heart. If I was to ask you the question, what does God want from you or desire from you and me the most? The answer to that question would be, He wants our hearts. God wants your heart more than He wants anything. One time, one of the Pharisees came to Jesus and, and, uh, and asked him, he said, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Jesus wants us to love Him with all our hearts because whoever or whatever has your heart has you. And one of the greatest rebukes that Jesus gave the Pharisees was to quote from the prophet Isaiah regarding them. And He said, These people honor Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. Jesus doesn't just want lip service. He wants our whole heart. He wants to be the primary focus of our affection. And by the way, that's the way He sees you. You're the primary focus of His affection. So as soon as we start talking about the heart, right away, our relationship to money and our love of money comes to the forefront and has to be examined. Jesus made this statement one day in Matthew 6, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Our hearts follow our treasure. Jesus said this about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. What's Jesus saying? The treasure of the kingdom of heaven is worth more than anything else. And when you catch a glimpse of that, everything else becomes worthless in comparison. When God has your heart, the way you see money changes. It's worthless in comparison to the riches of the kingdom of heaven. There are bigger priorities, greater concerns. The eternal trumps the temporary. And so because this is true... Let me be so bold as to say that God is after your wallet. He's after your money. Why? Because as Jesus showed us, our heart is connected to our wallets. Your heart follows your treasure. And God wants your heart more than He wants anything else. 
When God has your heart and when you have His, there is a dramatic shift that happens in your life. I'll tell you what it is. You go from being selfish to generous. Our God is a generous God. He is extravagant in the grace He gives us, in the mercy He gives us, in the forgiveness He gives us. He is that Father that we see uh, illustrated for us in the story of the prodigal son who holds nothing back when his son rudely demands his inheritance. He gives it to him. Then he overlooks this great offense when, and when his son returns afterwards and gives him his robe and gives him his ring and holds a giant giant feast for him upon his return. That's God. He's generous. He's extravagant in generosity. And when you love someone with all your heart, all selfishness goes and it's replaced with extravagant generosity. And the greatest example we have of the generosity of God is that he didn't even withhold his own son from us. John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave, there it is, He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus gave us His very life so we could be free from the chains of sin. The heart of God is one of extravagant generosity. There's no sin in God's heart, and and so there is no selfishness in Him. For us, selfishness is something that we are born with, because we are born into sin. It's in our very nature. But when we receive Jesus as our Savior, and when we are born again, as the Bible puts it, He puts His Holy Spirit inside of us, and that begins to change us. We are born selfish, but we are born again generous. Did you hear that? We are born selfish, but when we are born again and the Spirit of God comes inside of us, our rebirth is one of generosity. As our minds are renewed, as we are transformed into the image of God, selfishness begins to fade away and it's replaced by the heart of God of extravagant generosity. Someone said that we are never more like God than when we give. And I think that's true, because generosity is His very nature. And so God wants us generous in every way. He wants us generous with our time, generous with our talents, and generous with our treasure. And so as we begin this series, or this campaign, let's look today, what I want to do is talk to you about how we can have God's generous heart. And to do that, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture found in Deuteronomy chapter 15. And in this passage, God gives us four things that I think will help us that we can see in the instructions that He gave the nation of Israel through Moses. The context is that the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land, the land of their inheritance, a land that God was going to give them because of His great love for them. 
And God has some things to say to them as they stand at the door about to enter in. And Moses says this in verse 7 and 8, speaking on behalf of God. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. I want you to notice right here again that God was giving this land to His people. Again, reflecting His heart towards them. And then notice that He immediately challenges them about their own hearts. Do not be hard-hearted as you're going into this land that I'm giving you. Don't be tight-fisted. In other words, let your heart towards your brothers reflect my heart towards you. And now as we continue in verse 9, we see the first thing we need to do if we're going to be people with generous hearts, and that's this. The first thing is we have to deal with our selfish hearts. Moses continues in Deuteronomy 5 verse 9, Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. I want you to notice here that selfishness is wickedness in the eyes of God. And it becomes sin. At the very beginning of chapter 15, if we won't read it, but if you go back to the beginning, God has given some instructions, and they're interesting. And these were his instructions to the, to the Israelites. Every seven years, cancel all the debts of anybody that owes you money. That's pretty good if you owe money, not so good if somebody owes you money. <laughs> Amazing. And so here's... That's the background of this verse 9 because now the challenge is, hey, if it's like six years and eight months and somebody asks you for a loan, give them the money. Don't be thinking, well, there's only four months left and then I've got to waive the whole thing. There's no way they're paying me back. No, God says, give them the money. And if you refuse to make the loan... You're being selfish, and I consider that wickedness. He's challenging the people to deal with their selfish hearts and to be extravagantly generous like he's generous. You know, there is something about giving that is more powerful than anything else for working selfishness and greed out of our lives. God doesn't need your money and He doesn't need my money. But He calls us to give because when we do, we break free from the chains of selfishness. You know, there is a lot of teaching on giving that seems to put the emphasis on getting. Give so that you can get. That kind of teaching, in my opinion, goes against God's heart of generosity. If the focus of your giving is so that you can get, you're actually working selfishness and greed back into your life. These are the things God is wanting to work out of your life. 
We don't need a revelation of getting. We need a revelation of giving. God wants us to deal with our selfish hearts. If we're going to be people that have generous hearts, we need to, number two, deal with a grieving heart. In verse 10, the instructions continue. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. In the New American Standard Version, it it says it this way. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. First of all, there is a wonderful promise in this verse. God says to them, if you will be generous to the poor among you, If you will give to them out of a right heart, I'm going to bless you in everything that you do. Again, we see that God is concerned about the heart. He doesn't want us giving with a grieving heart or grudgingly. He wants us to give out of a heart of generosity. It's interesting that God talks about a grieving heart. You see, selfishness attacks us before we give, and grief can attack us after we give. I'm sure you can relate to this. I've certainly had times in my life where I've been, where I've given and I've been happy to do so, but then all of a sudden, after giving some money, I get slammed with some unexpected bills. Can anybody else relate to that? This summer was one of those summers for Angela and I. It seemed like every week our car was going to the garage and it was another 500 to 1,000. It was crazy. And then you're thinking, man, in these days the price of everything's gone so high with inflation and I'm one of those ones that has a variable rate on my mortgage and for years I thought this is absolutely sweet and right now I'm not liking my variable rate so much. And this thought can subtly creep in, inspired by the devil himself, I'm sure. Why did I give so much a global impact this year? Why did I increase my monthly giving to the church? Or, I should have given to that relief fund or the building fund. That's giving with a grieving heart. And that is a heart that we need to deal with in order to have a heart of generosity. The promise at the end of this verse is one that truthfully I remind myself with often. I remind myself, God is extremely generous. He's extravagant in His generosity towards me. He promises me that He's going to bless me when I give from a right heart. So I just need to trust Him. I also remind myself that everything I have comes from Him in the first place. I'm simply a manager of His resources. It's all God's anyways. You know, grief comes when we give because we think it's ours. I heard a preacher say once when collecting an offering, Reach your hand into your neighbor's pocket, take his wallet, and give like you've always wanted to give. 
It was a joke, but it illustrates a point. There is no grief in giving what is not yours. I have a good friend who is visually impaired. And often we go for lunch and, and, uh, and, and he often buys me lunch. He's a generous guy. And so he will hand me his credit card because he can't see to, to, to do his thing. And so he'll hand me the credit card to pay the bill. I'll tell you a secret. I tip really generously. <laughs> that waiter always gets a great tip when I have his card. Why? Because I'm given what's not mine. Church, you can deal with a grieving heart and giving by realizing that all you have is the Lord's. David said in the Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I can give generously by knowing that God is generous. By knowing that He loves when I'm generous and so He'll bless me when I give away that which He's made me a manager of. I truly believe that when I reflect God's heart in giving, He'll give me more to give away. It just makes sense. If I'm going to have a generous heart, number three, I need to cultivate it. I need to cultivate a heart of generosity. As the instructions continue in verse 12, Moses says, If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant and serves you for six years, in the seventh year you must set that servant free. And when you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. This is so interesting to me. You see the generous heart of God all through these instructions. God cares so much for the poor and for the needy. And here we see a case where a man is so poor that the only choice he has is to offer himself to one of his fellow Hebrews as a slave to him in order to survive. And God's instructions were that if that's the case, that slave has to be set free after seven years. But God wants more than just giving that slave his freedom. He wants his people to be generous. And so he challenges them to cultivate generosity and says, when you free that slave, give him some of your flock, give him some of your grain, and give him something from your wine press. If you have been blessed, then be a blessing. If you have some bounty, then share it. That's what God is saying. All these instructions were to cultivate within his people a heart that reflected his. I want you generous as I'm generous. You know, as parents, we know that some of the first instructions we gave our children when they were young was to teach them to share. 
I remember sometimes as a dad thinking to myself when my kids would say those famous words, that's mine, when they would grab one of their toys that I had bought them. How can you be so selfish? I bought you that. Share it with your sisters for goodness sakes. I said it way nicer than that because I'm a good parent. (laughs) We had to teach our children how to be kind, how to be generous, how to think of others before themselves. In a sense, we always have to war against that attitude within ourselves. It's the, it's the selfishness of our sin nature. As children of God, we need to learn the same principle. When God blesses us, no matter how big or how small, God wants us to learn to share. It's part of growing up as a mature believer in Christ. If I'm going to have a generous heart, I have to come to the place where I'm asking God, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to share? And then do it. And the more I learn to share the more I cultivate and develop a heart that's generous. When I see that God has blessed me, sharing actually becomes a powerful act of worship because I give to others as a way of thanking God. Thank you for what you've blessed me with. You know, I can tell you that when my children shared their toys or now share their clothes or voluntarily serve, that blesses me as a parent. Hint, hint, kids. When I come home and the kitchen counter is clean or the floor is vacuumed and I didn't ask you to do it, oh, that feels good as a parent, doesn't it? So they're learning how to give and to share and to not be selfish and that warms my heart. Wouldn't it be the same with our Heavenly Father? I tell you, He loves to see His sons and daughters generous. And the challenge that I give to us, to you and to me, is to cultivate a heart of generosity by asking God, where do you want me to share, God, the things and the bounty that you've blessed me with? Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, I can promise you, you have something that God has given you that you can share. Finally, if we're going to be people that have generous hearts, number four, we need to cultivate a grateful heart. After Moses gives God's instructions about freeing their slaves every seventh year and sending them away with a portion of the bounty that God has given them. He says this to them in verse 15. Remember that you were once slaves. Right? This is following this passage where he says, I want you to release your slave every seven years. And remember, you you were once a slave. In the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. That's why I'm giving you this command. 
I want you to notice here how strong the language is. God is commanding that His people be generous. I'm commanding you to be generous. Why? Because He was so generous to them. God says to them, you need to remember where you came from. You were once slaves in Egypt. You know what it's like to have nothing. You know what it's like to feel like you have no future. You have felt the pain of slavery in the past. Don't forget where you came from. So set your slave free every seven years as I set you free. And not only did I set you free, but I blessed you. So bless him in return. Out of what I gave you. Generosity comes from remembering what God has done for us. From cultivating a heart of gratitude. You know, we talk often in this church about a dark time in our history when this church was $2 million in debt and on the verge of bankruptcy. Those of you who were here in that time, and there's still some of you left, I know from talking to you will tell, would tell others that it felt like you were under a yoke of slavery. Our church in that time lost almost everything, including a building that had been built. But if you've been around the last 35 years, you know that God has done a miracle in Harvest City Church of biblical proportions. He helped us get out of a $2 million debt. He provided all along the way. And today we meet in a building, this building that is completely paid for, that's bigger and better than the one we lost. We have stories to tell, many of them, of how God delivered us. Church, it is so important that we always keep our history in our remembrance. It is good that we always tell those new people that God adds to us the story of where we came from. It gives us a grateful heart. Over the last 15 years, we have given around $5 million to missions. I believe it's because we have cultivated a heart of generosity. We've been ones who have seen God's goodness and His faithfulness to us, how He rescued us from a time of slavery in our history. He's given us bounty. He's been good to us. He's been faithful to us. He's been generous to us. And as the Scriptures teach, to whom much is given, much is required. And I love that this June, we're going to bless our city by giving 10% of that cost of the Mosaic Stadium outreach event. We're giving $60,000 towards that event. I love that it was the elders who, who, who said that right away. They said, let's be generous. Let's be generous. You know, there's not very many churches in our city who could give that much. But we can. Why? Because God's been good to us. And you've been generous to give to the Lord in return. 
And now we can be a blessing to our city. I love that. We can be a channel of the goodness of God. Church, I have a question for you. Has God been good to you? Then cultivate a grateful heart and share His blessing. As I bring this sermon to a close in our campaign to the starting point, let us remember that it is always about the heart. That's what God is after. Everything that we are talking about going forward starts on this foundation. My hope today is that you've been inspired to be more like Jesus because you'll never be more like Him than when you live your life generously. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Was that okay? Let's just come before the Lord. If that stirs you or touches you in some way, I know it stirs me, provoked as I'm preaching it. God, I still see too much of the sinful nature in me, and I want more of your nature. I want more of the Spirit of God to rule and reign in my life. So let's just come and present our hearts before the Lord. Father, we just come before you today, and first of all, God, we just want to come with gratitude. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, I am so grateful for your generosity. Lord, the fact that you wouldn't even spare your own son. You gave him to me and gave him to all of us to give us eternal life and to restore our relationship with you. Amazing. Lord, I thank you for all the good things that I have in my life. Lord, help me to see it. God, forgive me where I've failed to even notice your blessing, where I've grumbled and where I've complained. Lord, would you remove that heart of ingratitude from me and place within me a heart of thankfulness. God, I pray today that you would change our hearts to reflect your heart. Lord, I don't want to live out of the sinful nature of selfishness, of greed, of fear, clutching and grabbing onto things that have no eternal value. Lord, I want my heart to reflect your heart. Lord, I want to love giving as much as you love giving. I want to love being generous as much as you love being generous. God, I don't want to give begrudgingly or grievingly. Lord, I want to be extravagant. And God, I just come before you and confess that I actually need your grace to be able to, to give like you give. I need your perspective. I need your help. I need you to change my heart. God, would you loosen my fingers off of the goodness that you've given me. Lord, I want to be a channel of your grace and of your blessing. I don't want to hold on to the bounty. I want to give it away. And God, I pray for us as a church that we would be a church that you could trust 
with millions of dollars because you know we'll be a channel. Because you know that we'll give it away as much as you give it to us. God, help us to hold on to everything with loose fingers. Always praying, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to sow? Where do you want me to give? Where do you want me to be a blessing? God, may that always be at the forefront of who we are as a church because it's at the forefront of your heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, church. See you next week. Well, that brings us to the end of our time together. We hope that you found insight and had moments that spoke to you right where you needed it. Before you go, share the love and post this inspiring video to your page. Who knows how many lives could be impacted by it. And if you aren't already, like, follow, and turn on your social media notifications to keep up to date on all the exciting things happening at our church. Here at Harvest City, we're all about connecting with our community and celebrating those big moments. Like if you've recently decided to fully dedicate your life to Jesus. We'll be your cheerleaders and help you take those first steps. And if you're going through a tough season, let us know how we can help you. Plus, we've got tons of programs for kids, youth, and adults if you're looking for a new community to be part of. To send us a message or check out more about HCC, head over to our website, harvestcity.ca. To all of our financial partners, thank you for investing into the kingdom of God. Your generosity allows us to keep doing what we're called to do and reach even more people. If you're interested in contributing, please visit harvestcity.ca slash giving for more info. Thanks for being here. Keep living your call and we'll catch you again soon.